Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's the it's the, it's the Philosopher's Stone podcast again. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? That's absolutely mind blowing. If you ask me, hundred and one episodes. Do you know any, do you know how much? Do you know how many Dalmatians that is? It's a, That's it's enough a lot. For, oh, I was gonna say enough for one coat, but yeah. <laughs> is that one hundred and one Dalmatians? You need that many to make a legit coat if you want all the pockets. Yeah. Especially if you're going to put it in the dryer, it'll shrink. So you want it to. Yes. You need to compensate for that. (laughs) You know, when you put your Dalmatian fur coat in the dryer, shrinks. (laughs) How the hell? Oh, man. Kill another 50 dogs. Damn. That would be like you have to admit that the cruelest, most inhumane. Clothing is also the most ballin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, like a, a Dalmatian coat would be pretty good. Dalmatian ballin. coat, like you would get yelled at in the street for wearing it, <laughs> but also people would be like, they must be filthy rich. Oh, every yeah, time I pet yeah. my cat's ears, like they're so soft. I'm, I imagine what a whole jacket full of just cat ears, like made of just cat ears, would. I, I don't think I'd ever take it off. Wow, a cat's ear jacket cat's ear jacket and you know what the best part about it is is that the cat can survive it without its ears so i just happen to have it's gonna take oh how many cats do you think it would take to make a cat ear jacket oh probably more than 101 probably a <laughs> lot cats? more yeah i think more like a yeah. thousand thousand and one there's a new probably. movie there <laughs> yeah oh my internet's bad hold on Oh, lost connection to server, attempting to reconnect. I'm back. Oh, something bad's happening. Okay, I'm, I'm, no, alert, lost, I'm reconnected. Holy shit. Oh, my God. This is on my end. Are you sure it's on your end? Yeah, this is my Ethernet cable getting pinched by a ghost. Hold on one second. Okay. Well, this is this week's technical difficulty. Um, I wonder what next week will be. Could you imagine a full podcast without any issues? That would be amazing. But I think our fans would complain at this point. You know, they've gotten used to a certain lifestyle, and that lifestyle is shit not going right. Okay. It seems to be okay. Okay. So at that, oh, nope. nope. A thousand and one cat ear, uh, cats. So that's 2002 years total. 2002 right? years. Yes. Yeah, for make, like a large coat. That's ankle. for like a bomber jacket. No, that's just, a that's not jacket. for, that's not for a duster. That's just for a bomber get jacket. It's telling me my, I'm losing connection to the server. This might come out completely all messed up. Uh, yeah, let's just, I, I, you know what? I'd say we just ignore this and just keep going. That's the way I live my life. <laughs> it's so strange, like technical issues, not just in our podcast, but in both of our computers having technical issues earlier it's, today. You know what it is? It's AI. The AI ghosts are, they're already in the, it's the ghost in the shell. They're already mucking about in everyone's systems. Yeah, I think so. Like, uh, or, or like what I said when we were off air, uh, maybe it's like solar sunspots, sun, sun, ah, a couple solar flares. You know what? It stopped because sometimes when I'm on Facebook on my desktop and someone sends me a message and then, you know, on the top tabs, you can see like someone send you a message and it like pops up every two seconds. Yeah. That I think interrupts something because every time that would pop up, it said my mom was sending me a message. It was cutting out the server. I was getting that server message and now I, I, I checked her messages, so now it's not notifying me anymore, and now it stopped. So there you go. Huh, that's so weird. Blame Zuckerberg. Yeah, I I had this weird thing, like for two days in a row, I had this weird thing where the the internet cable going into my Wi-Fi adapter like fell out on its own. Really? Isn't there a yeah. little clippy thing that's supposed to hold it in place? Yeah, like it didn't fall all the way out, but it fell out enough that it had to be pushed back in and the internet wasn't working until I pushed it back in. 
Man, you know where I saw that happen once was on Wreck-It Ralph 2. I think that happens where they push out the Ethernet cable from the inside of the router. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that happens or something similar like that happens. God damn it. Chris Pratt's hiding in my fucking uh, modem. Chris Pratt's not was in he, movie. Was he Wreck-It Ralph? I thought he no, was no, Wreck-It no. Ralph. That was John C. Riley. Oh, Jesus. My freaking And, then, my and Sarah Silverman. Oh, here's my, my apologies. connection issue again. Oh, my theory's out the window. It's Whatever, a we're just going to keep plowing until it cuts off. I think it's like a phantom interference. A phantom menace, maybe? Yes, precisely. Okay, Darth Maul is in my router. <laughs> uh, I think, well, actually, here's what I think it might be. Unfortunately, the way my room is arranged the internet port is like under the heater basically huh. so all my my router my wi-fi adapter everything is literally sitting on a heater like my room probably heater. not great well i'm thinking maybe it's like heating it up the plastic and the plastic is like getting expanding and then it squeezes out of the router or something like a, <laughs> In any case, How about a lot? Just like a we are bit. still <laughs> a very top-notch, high-end production going on here at the Philosopher's Stone podcast. Uh, what do you think? You know, Should we talk about something? Well, this is like a perfect segue because there's another possibility, right? Sometimes things in your room, like a painting will fall off the wall or something like that. Uh-huh. Or, and sometimes it's not a, maybe it's not a coincidence. Maybe it's a paranormal event. I, okay. I, I think there's always, almost always better explanations for things like that <laughs> than the yeah. ghost is in the room. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's the, the topic is parapsychology, which is like the investigation of things like personal survival after death telepathy telekinesis hypnotism auto writing etc and this has interested some philosophers and they've investigated it and most of them conclude it's a waste of time but it yeah is very i mean the the life after death thing is very like uh there's anecdotals but that's with anything there's going to be anecdotal, anecdotal uh, stories of experiences that are supernatural. Mm, like but, near, uh, near death experiences. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. I think a, mo a majority of these beliefs are comfort or they, they give the believer something that is beneficial to them. In that case, yeah, that's, comfort uh... from the fear of non-existence or in the case of like ghosts, and uh, spirits and stuff. It just it's another way to help them rationalize the world. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. One of the philosophers that I was looking at who is like investigating this is a guy named uh, Henry Sidgwick, and he's like a pretty uh, pretty respected British philosopher, especially in ethics. Mm -hmm. And he was around in like the eighteen hundreds and his interest in, in parapsychology was kind of like what you're talking about, where he felt like he had to believe that, um, or the reason he thought that consciousness continues after death was, a, was based on ethics, as he says. And here's the quote. In the face of the conflict between virtue and happiness in my own life and that of every other man like me, I believe every normal man is reduced to hopeless anarchy. So he's talking about how in the you can either choose to live a virtuous life or a happy life, but they're not gonna they might not overlap. Ooh, and what so, would you choose? It's <laughs> a good question. Um, but here, here, so here, here, before I answer that, here's what he he says: um, two authorities seem to rule me: uh, self love and conscience and conscience, and neither will yield to the other. The only way of avoiding this intolerable anarchy, so you don't have to choose, 
is by the postulate of immortality. And so right. he says, people Everything are going to say, do, well, the sacrifices I make in the name of virtue are going to pay off with eternal life. I, th- yeah, I think that's what he means. And, uh, he right away, he says like, you might say, you cannot believe this. You cannot just believe something because you want to. And so his re- rejoinder is, he says, quote, in me, I find an inherited predisposition to this faith, or I guess this belief that my consciousness will continue. And then number two, he says, quote, in human history, the belief is that of the best part of mankind. It has nearly, though not quite, the authority of a belief of common sense. So he's saying, like, I guess the best part of humanity believes that your consciousness survives your death. I, I, I'm not totally convinced people who think that eternal consciousness is a good thing have really thought about it long and hard. You're, you're thinking of the interminable boredom. I'm thinking of the, the idea of something never ending. It's the, it's the, it's the classic phrase all good things come to an end and i think that by making something last forever you take out all of the value not to mention the boredom part and the like how do you keep <laughs> things how, how do you possibly stay in, like engaged or happy or whatever the next whatever this eternal life uh situation is I just yeah, can't imagine it being fulfilling for eternal eternally unless you're literally being forced to unless it's like you have no choice but to be happy like happiness is just the happiness setting is just maxed out forever <laughs> wouldn't that lose its sheen after a while like the reason yeah. that you can enjoy happiness in real life is because you know what it's like to not be happy you know that you have an appreciation for the good times because you've experienced the bad times. And if you're going to be going through an internal life, if you lose that dynamic, you're not going to, you're not going to appreciate anything. You're just going to be this, this ghost. And how are you supposed to like maintain your sense of self for eternity? You know, it's all about like your sense of self relies heavily on context of your life. So like Mm. the idea of just, being an eternally lasting consciousness is like what, what, how much of what I am now is going to be even relevant to whoever that is. Hmm. Well, those are, yeah, I think those are pretty, pretty convincing points. Like it, it's hard to argue against that unless you like change the, change the rules kind of maybe like, because he's saying he seems to think that it would be it's intolerable to live in a world where there is no reward for living a virtuous life. And the so, reward is in itself. Unless but what if you're not happy? Like what if you're always getting screwed over and taken advantage of? Well, then you're not, you got to rethink your strats. Why is that happening to you all the time? It's not because you're choosing to be virtuous. There's going to be some other variable as to why that's happening. Yeah. So, I mean, well, I mean, like the the reason it could be happening is because like, despite the fact that you're virtuous, um, maybe no matter what you do, like, it just doesn't matter. Like you're, you're virtuous, but then your family gets all killed in a car accident. And you're so virtuous, but then your company goes under and they fire you. And you're like you're so virtuous, like bad stuff's happening to you throughout your life, despite how how virtuous and moral you are. Um, I mean, if you are doing virtuous acts in hope that it somehow comes back your way, like karma comes back your way, then is it really a virtuous act? It's. I mean, or is I think it so. more of a transaction with the universe that you're expecting good things to happen to you because you do good things. That is a net zero of good. That's that's a good point. Like it takes away the uh, maybe you're not doing it for the right reason. 
Yes. I mean, if it's truly virtuous, if it's truly selfless, then you shouldn't expect anything in return. You shouldn't expect it to affect how your life, the outcome of your life at all. That's why it always like, it always infuriates me with the, with um, like really religious people when they're doing good things because they want to get into heaven. They're like stacking up brownie points for heaven. It's like that you doing things to secure a better afterlife for yourself by definition is a selfish act. But doesn't it, does that take away from all the good that they do? No, it doesn't take away from the good. I'm just saying it's not truly a virtuous act. Okay. I'm saying if you view okay. the world in that way, even that's the also the problem with like people that believe in karma is like if you're constant if you're only behaving virtuously because you think that it will benefit you in the end, then it's not truly a virtuous act. Yeah. Well, I think I think Sidgwick would agree that if you are virtuous then it's going to be done for the right reason you're going to do it because you desire to to be virtuous Mm -hmm. now virtuous people tend to have better lives i will say that possibly possibly for the most part Um, you're going to be well liked and loved by people in your life if you're a virtuous person well here's well here's the rub right like because plenty of unvirtuous people are also having great lives very successful so here's here's the here's like well, you'd the have quote. to define success in that statement to me, but go ahead. Well, here's here's where it all here's how it all boils back down to that, right? So remember when we did that thing with the the ring of Gaiji's thing, where you have this ring you can put on that makes you invisible, so you can get away with all of your evil deeds that you want to do. Oh man, then, that was way back in like way back episode in the day, right? eight or something. Episode eight, right? But then you take that ring off. Now you do your public self where you're all virtuous, where you appear to be virtuous and everyone thinks you're great. Yeah. Now, if there's no uh, soul, right? If you don't have a soul that can be harmed by your your evil deeds, then the idea is that like you would perf- it would be better to have that because then you can everyone treats you like you're virtuous, but you also get to indulge in all of those things that maybe make you happier than the constraints of virtue. I think if you're giving into all your vices, just cause you can get away with it, that's gonna, unless that, then it all comes down to like, what is your own level of con? Like, is that conscionable to you as a person? Yeah. To, um, like you're only doing things. The only reason you're not doing certain things is because you'll know you'll get caught. But if you knew for a fact you could get away with it, you would d- definitely do those things. Sorry, could you repeat that? It's like if you if the only reason you're not doing everything you want to do, even the the bad stuff, is because you know you'll get caught, then you're kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, that's true. But every, everybody will have moments where they they uh they do something that maybe they know they shouldn't because they know they're not going to get caught, like speeding on the highway, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, here's the thing is that like, I think that you still would feel like shit. Even if you got away with it, you've been a lot of things. I mean, if you're, if you're, if, awesome. if the, if the idea is you're going to be able to satisfy all your animalistic base instincts and still be, and not have to pay any of the, uh, consequences for those things. I mean, you're basically just reducing yourself to an animal. <laughs> True. Um, here's like a couple, a couple other ways to like the desire for a moral universe. Here's another way to think about it. Um, or two other ways to think about it. Why someone might want, want to have a soul that is going to be benefit in the after death or be harmed after death because of your actions. So here's Socrates. He would say, he says, quote, if the rulers of the universe do not prefer the just man to the unjust, it is better to die than to live. And then, Another quote from Sedgwick, uh, quote, when a man passionately refuses to believe that the wages of virtue can be dust, 
Oh, sorry, that wasn't the... Oh, yeah, sorry. It is often less from any private reckoning than from an aversion to a universe so fundamentally irrational that good for the individual is not ultimately identified with universal good. Okay. They, they seem to think, and this is why I think people are drawn to the belief in the afterlife, is they, this argument is that the, they don't want it, they think the universe would be irrational if um, it isn't moral in some way. Like an outside sense of morality that exists outside of society and humanity. So, like, they don't like talk necessarily about like uh, any particular god or religion. It's more just this idea that there must be maybe, a, yeah, like it's all kind of they don't really know because they're talking about what happens after you die, but like somehow you have a soul. And when you die, the wages of virtue are going to be paid to your soul or not. I feel like that's kind of how, what it means, but we don't know what it is to be this soul. Like you, it might have a, might be outside of time. There might be not be any boredom involved or anything like that. Uh, maybe you just get reincarnated. Um, all sorts of whatever you want. But uh, I think that's the idea is they think that, if you don't have a soul that's going to get paid the wages of virtue after you die, then um, then it's pointless to try and like live virtuously. Uh, I mean, I can see their for point. If it's all just for nothing and there's no consequences in the end, then yeah, a lot of people are going to be like, fuck it. I'll just do whatever I can get away with to make my own, to satisfy my own base urges in life. But I just don't think that that actually leads to actual happiness or actual fulfillment in any way. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I think it's like. Because uh, you yeah, can take it's a tale as old as time. You know, someone gets filthy rich, they win the lottery, they become a famous musician or some shit, and then they have everything they ever wanted at their fingertips, essentially. And they. You, splurge or whatever with all the sex drugs and rock and roll they can handle and then eventually they always they almost always need to back away from that lifestyle if they don't die okay hang on one second you can comment on that yeah that's that's true like that's the that's the problem with pursuing trying to pursue so many desires at once you can't possibly satisfy all of them inevitably leading to frustration yeah so, so i think that as humans we have the ability to kind of uh transcend our animalistic nature and that's the difference between being a human and being an animal is that you can do that um and if you are nice just to know that you would the better you you lived your life the better your soul would be after you died again then everybody's just operating on this brownie points system well no no it, i i disagree okay be well here, here's the thing right if you had a soul and you would be paid the wages of virtue after you died if you lived a virtuous life then that means that is in a way that is like what their the goal is to like unite because now you know how to live exactly how to live you don't need to choose between like should i do this moral thing that's i don't really want to do like i don't really want to donate money to that thing and then just keep the money for yourself and have your like have your fun time mm -hmm. but if you know for a fact that like having your fun time is going to cause harm to your soul. Well, then you wouldn't be happy knowing that. And you'd have to pick virtue because it's, it's the only logical. So it's not so much about brownie points. It's like, logically, I want to be happy. I better live a virtuous life. Yeah, I guess that no, makes you sense. Have no room. You have no wiggle room. You have no wiggle room. I don't know why you need a, an afterlife soul type thing for that to apply. Like that applies while you're alive too. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's that's right. But uh, I think not it's so not. Much... It, it's less about making yourself feel like. Uh, my brain. Can I say it like this? Yeah. I think that there are a lot of things that you might do that would be considered not virtuous mm-hmm. that would make you happy and wouldn't really make you feel that guilty. That you don't really think about it that much. Well, is it really happiness or is it just like a like a chemical rush you're getting? There's like a difference between instant- well, there's no soul, so that's that is all it is. But there is a difference between instant gratification and like fulfillment over t- a longer period of time, right? There's like two types True. of people. There's like, I mean, a lot of people when they're young, they go for that immediate gratification because it's a very simple formula, right? You drink the beer, you feel good. You do the drugs, you feel good. You have sex, you feel good. But that lifestyle, why is it that that lifestyle tends to have diminishing returns for people pretty quickly. Like, you know, most people by the time they're 40 are not, are not living life like that anymore. If that was as simple as it was to be happy, then that's, I think that would be a lifestyle that people pursue for a lot longer. But generally people come to the conclusion that these short term uh, spikes in dopamine or whatever, the sex, drugs, good food and stuff, the short term gratification ends up coming at a cost ultimately oh yeah definitely at the cost of your own happiness yeah yes Um, and so people i think tend to start naturally living more virtuous lives because they because that i mean again it's you feel good about being alive more often well, well by virtuous by living a virtuous life, do you mean making good, making like physically healthy choices? Or That's living part ethical? of it, but I living think ethical. just living like honestly by, by changing your focus in life from instant gratification, reason. you 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 tend to seek out more meaningful behaviors. Mm, so, like when we're talking living virtuously, this means you pursue wisdom, honesty. Friendship, magnanimity, all of these things that are difficult to achieve. Yeah, things that need more than just a, uh, you know, essentially, a, you just need. Yeah. yeah, like Sorry. a chemical switch of some sort. Uh, things that are harder to achieve tend to make you feel more fulfilled for longer. True, true. And I don't think that's even really a. Uh, conscious decision for a lot of people i think they naturally will gravitate to towards those things as they age once they realize that the short-term happiness and the vices are ultimately it's not really happiness it's just you're just pressing a feel-good button on your brain but real happiness is something that lasts and it it settles deeper into you than just short-term gratification Mm -hmm. now there is like always the the problem of if we live in an irrational universe, right? They're saying the universe, if there's no souls and benevolent God and stuff like that, then the universe is, you know, ethically irrational. Mm-hmm. So you could live a very virtuous life and then have the worst fortune of all mm-hmm. to the extent that you just can't be happy. Like, Yes, you're a great friend, you're honest, you're wise, you're these things, but life just fucks you so, so hard. I mean, that, the circumstances that not, that would not of... Be considered just, right? That would not be the just end for the no, virtuous person I, to I, I get falsely think... accused of murder and stuff like that and lynched by the mob while the, the real killer lives happily ever after. I mean, that does happen. The, the chaos of reality is not going to be affected by whether... I mean, it will... I think, like I said before, living a virtuous life will bring virtuous people into your life, right? And that in itself will make you happier. But it's no guarantee. There's no no promise. There's no scale that needs to be balanced for the universe to make sense. But I will say you can get fucked over by the world, whether you're virtuous or not. But you'll 
feel even worse if you're fucked over by the world and you're living like a scumbag. Mm -hmm, But a a happy and successful scumbag. Well. Oh, you mean, okay. You have to be careful how we define happiness. Like, is it just a psychological state? But it can also be, it can also be facts about your life. Lots of people that have, some people are, that are look happy. happy on paper, but like you can go the other way with it, right? Lots of people that look happy on paper, you know, mm-hmm. successful financially, yeah, in a loving marriage, maybe have a family. Those lots of those people are miserable, and then people that have that look like they have shitty lives on paper, they might be ten times happier than that person. Yep, very true. Very true. So I don't, I don't know. I think defining happiness as a psychological state is better than you know, making a list of things that you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it's, I think it's happiness su- is something that you find out how to have in your own circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think, uh, I think at the end of the day, we can conclude that the desire for the friendly universe, as Sidgwick called it, um, like he says, I, he, like a, a sovereign will that orders all things rightly. Um, I think this does come from, we want to think that at the end of the day, even if you live a virtuous life, your things will be just for you. Like it's yeah. going to be fair. It's going to be fair. That's where it comes. They want things to be fair. Like I yes. live this virtuous life. It should be fair that, um, the universe should not be irrational and just fuck me over, you know, despite living a, a trying to live a virtuous life. Life is not fair. Why would the universe be fair? Well, because like your life, like that's the thing is like the life might not be fair, but overall the universe should correct it. There should be. I a think every, it does in a sense when you die and your consciousness finally leaves this, this dimension, you sh- everybody's oh. at peace in death. That's the reward. Mm. Peace. Peace. Yeah, what I else guess, could you really hope for? I mean, yeah, it's just over. It's over. Yes. And that is peace. And uh, we hope, we hope it's, we hope it's nothing. Peace would be continuation. Cause peace, you're in like a state of satisfaction. Yeah. I suppose you could be like, if you're still self-aware, then yeah, an eternal state. If any self-awareness after you die, then Sidric is right. And there's an afterlife. Yes. Yeah. But even I Sidric just don't, I don't think self-awareness for eternity is, I mean, if you really think about that, that's a horrific thought. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, it, it, yeah, it, that would be horrific unless there's some weird way where consciousness separated from the material has a different experience of time or something like that. It would have I mean, to if be we're, if we're allowing it to like continue after death, you can allow weird time distortions, I would say. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to go, if it's into, that weird, if you're going to get weird and say, you're going to we get have- weird. Yeah. But like <laughs> that to me, that's like, you wouldn't even be in a, in a state of self-awareness where there's any sort of plan or any sort of a goal or any sort of even just communication with other beings would require a linear time frame of some sort for any sort mm-hmm. of dialogue to happen between any sort of souls that are in the afterlife. Yeah, that's yeah. So this is like, this is the kind of thing that like when people get into this, when they want to believe that there is a soul, this is what they start researching. Can you talk to dead people and stuff like that? Yeah, because and, uh, <laughs> and Sidgwick like spent a a lot of time investigating this with the Ghost Society and all sorts of things. The Ghost Society, and they they really tried to like do it do it right, um, they sh- as they should. I mean, it's if yeah. if it's worth testing but, rigorously because if it, if you find any sort of data or that supports it, that's huge. Yeah. So 
they uh the only problem was they were doing these tests like way back in the day i don't think they had like double blind studies and stuff like that um mm. but even then uh like they thought they had something like here's a quote this is what they thought something they thought they had a uh, quote about one vis- visual hallucination in 63 occurs within a period of 24 hours round about the death of the person whose apparition has been quote unquote seen Hmm. If such coincidences were purely chant fortuitous concurrences of causally independent events, aka chance, the proportion would be about one in nineteen thousand. So what, what was the ratio before? One in sixty-three or something? What was yeah, it? one in sixty-three. Yeah. So So one in sixty-three people claim to have a hallucination about a loved one who's recently passed. Yeah. And so, I mean, what do you, what do you think? What, what would you think? The, another explanation. I'm surprised it's not be. more. I'm surprised <laughs> it's not more people. You're in a highly emotional state when someone dies. Yeah. yeah. Probably lack of sleep. Probably a bunch of different chemicals getting dumped into your brain. Um, not to mention just the, the mind's ability to show you things is very real, right? The mind can like, we all know just uh, like the capabilities of having a dream. That's all the equipment needed to make you hallucinate. <laughs> and I would think that would be a higher number than that. Honestly, I don't think that proves anything. Yeah. I just think that when people lose a loved one, they're in a highly emotional state for a ext- extended period of time mm-hmm. that uh, your brain could try many different things to show you comfort. Yeah. To alleviate I, well, the pain. Yeah, indeed. And, um, and that's like super interesting because then like, you don't have to say like, Oh, everyone who says they see something is a liar. Like, no, it doesn't, not necessarily the case at all. Could very well be, they did see something, but it was a hallucination. Yeah. I think that's definitely the most likely is like, yeah, you did see something. I just don't think it was a spirit coming through from the other side. I think it was your brain trying to help you through something. Yeah. And it's like, it's not right to say that uh, like, and the reason for it isn't necessarily that they see someone who is a ghost. It's because they're, yeah, like you said, they're seeing exactly what they're emotionally primed to see to feel better. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I guarantee you, there's not a lot of people who claim to see the ghost of someone that died that they didn't give a shit about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, that's like a an interesting uh an interesting thing that um it's just like it's helping them to feel like it's therapeutic because uh i watched this interesting talk this german science physicist i guess was talking about parapsychology like poltergeists um and things like that and he was saying that like he was trying to get scientific about this i don't know how scientific it is but he was saying there's some sort of quantum effect of entanglement or something where quantum quantum where that's the the quantum realm is every spiritualist's new uh bread and butter well this was this was interesting because he was just saying like there's no causal relationship it's like your 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 brain externalizes the harmful emotion. And so you experience it as something external to you. Yeah. And there may even be a quantum entanglement that actually causes something in the physical world to happen. Like a, the thing about the quantum uh, explanation is like, as soon as it becomes not in the quantum scale, then it doesn't apply. Yeah, that's what you'd think. Yeah. Right. So um, for that's actually one of the biggest areas of study is quantum. Is anyway, how sorry, quantum affects quantum things outside of the quantum realm. Uh well that's what the theory of everything is, right? They're trying to connect the quantum yeah, mechanics exactly. to the general relativity theories, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So far with not much luck. No, but they're getting closer. I think they are getting closer. They have new 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 takes. 
But anyway, um, so there might be some connection. Who knows? That could just be woo. But like, yeah, I do think there is some sort of way in which these paranormal experiences that people have is the brain externalizing uh, something harmful so that they can feel okay by putting it out of their mind or something. Yeah, I think your brain is very capable and has many different techniques that you're not aware of, of helping you manage reality when it gets too tough. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I don't know about the whole quantum entanglement thing. That could be a bunch of bullshit, but we'll have to Look, see. I'm, yeah. I wish I like the idea of non-existence is also frightening to myself, but mostly it's not the idea of non-existence. It's, it's, it's the thought of my current relationships coming to an end is the real hard thing to wrap your head around. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the worst thing about dying probably. Yeah. It's, uh, but I've always thought that even if they did come out with, uh, like I've said on this podcast before, I think if they, tomorrow they announced science has, has, found a very simple way that anyone can live indefinitely and you'll maintain a younger, healthy body until you want to die. I still think people would be clocking out 150 to 200 years old pretty consistently. <laughs> yeah. The old 200. Yep. Um, yeah. Could very well be. Uh, there's another one that's really interesting um, that brings a lot of this stuff together. And that's uh, alien abduction stories and to me that's access... almost always going to be a sleep paralysis situation yeah that's what i kind of seem to to think as well um most of these like it, like well there's a few interesting things about it there's there's like a sleep paralysis thing and then there's then there's like a, a maybe a less less obvious answer but yeah the sleep paralysis that's certainly one possibility um mm. Sleep paralysis. I've never had it. Have you ever had sleep paralysis? I have had it, but not to the extent where I feel a presence in the... Okay. I've had like two different versions of it. I've had ones where it's... I'm in a dream where I'm paralyzed and there's some uh, maleficent force, but it's not... I've never had it where I feel like I'm in my room awake and some entity comes in and I can't move. It's always been I'm in a dream and there's some entity that wants to hurt me. And in my dream, I can't, I'm paralyzed, but right. I've definitely had, uh, also had weird experiences where I think I'm awake and something bizarre happens and then it realized that I was actually dreaming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I think that's like a possibility. Like sleep people who have sleep paralysis are like convinced that there is something in the room often mm -hmm. on top of their bed, like on top of them. Um, mm -hmm. and it's changed. Like there've been different ones. People have commonly reported throughout history. People report different kinds of apparitions in during their sleep paralysis from different cultures and, and whatnot. Um, but what's interesting is that the most, uh, like the most, I guess, credible uh, UFO abduction stories are never, are very rarely from people who like know all about what happened to them and they go to a psychologist and, and tell them about it. Usually it's more like they don't quite know what's wrong with their life. Things aren't going well, or they, they think they saw a flying saucer when they were younger, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then they, the, but otherwise they have lots of, problems so they they naturally go to a psychologist like they can't have sex or something like that um, yeah and then the psychologist puts them under hypnotic hypnosis mm -hmm. and tries to get them to remember like explore their emotions and why they think they have it and whatnot would and you think that it's possible that their 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 brain is trying to protect them from a highly traumatic experience by wrapping it in this story of an alien abduction. Yes. That like, that's certainly one of the big possibilities um, mm -hmm. because it's not considered hypnotic regression to get back memories is not considered a necessarily a reliable um, technique of memory recovery. 
Well, I would, it's, it's, I would hope it's not considered that. It seems janky at the on the surface. <laughs> well, hip, hypnosis is like hypnotic memory recovery is one thing, and but hypnosis itself is a very real, real thing. Yeah, I, I, I know that all the time. Yeah, but so it's, I think it's that the, people misunderstand uh, the actual capabilities of it. Uh, I think yeah, people it's, think it's a it's more powerful true. technique than it really is. Yeah, it's very, very possible that like exactly what you're saying is what's happening is they enter the hip- hypnotic state and then uh, as they try to explore their emotions in the hypnotic state, the way the brain protects them is by creating a false memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this could be, th- this could be like a satanic ritual abuse that was lots of people had, lots of kids had false memories or Maybe they were real, maybe they were false. Some of them turned out to be false. Um, memories of satanic abuse and stuff like that. This could be the same thing. Um, it could be the same thing. Their, their brain is creating a vivid memory of an alien abduction. Yeah. Uh, and they emotionally believe it's real. Um, one thing that's consistent is the people who undergo the hypnotic regression appear to be having a genuine emotional reaction. Like they really believe that this happened to them. Yeah. That's what makes me think that it's, it's a real traumatic experience being rationalized or it's more easy for this person to believe that it was an alien or a satanic cult that came in and violated them. than you know, maybe a family member or or a neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, What's really interesting, though, about it is that uh, there is like some success with these with these abductees is when you or when like the psychologist treats them as if it really did happen to them. Mm -hmm. Like there was one case where like a woman, she went to the psychologist because she couldn't have sex with her husband without like freaking out. Yeah. And through it, they like she like had they on her hypnosis and she's like, oh, I remember these things that happened, these aliens took me and did all these probes in me and stuff like that. Um, and so the therapy wasn't to say like, you have to like forget that, that those aren't real memories. You're, yeah. you're normal. You can have sex. You're fine. The therapy was you are, uh, your affections are, are messed up because you're associating sex with what happened when you were with these abduction experiences. Yeah let's try to change your, the way you have sex from those abduction experiences. So instead of being submissive, you should take control. And instead of being touched here, you should ask to be touched there and like these different things. Right. And it, instead it of denying that the trauma was real, they just say, because it is real, right? Right. Whether or not yeah. the memory is false or not is not but, the problem. The problem is that yeah. the tra- trauma is actually has occurred from one way yeah. or another. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, Treating people like that seems seems to to work generally. Um, mm-hmm. So very very interesting. Um, yeah, I, I want to hear of a positive. If there was more positive alien abduction stories, that would be nice, huh? You don't hear I many. There are, there are some positive ones, I think. Um, I'm halfway through a book about them now by a Harvard psychologist named John Mack, who interviewed a lot of them. Um, so far, they've all been very, mostly very negative. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting that they're all extremely similar. That's like what makes are... me feel like these are sleep paralysis episodes. We listen, sometimes my wife and I will listen to this podcast of people recalling like strange supernatural experiences that happened to them. And like so many of them start off with, oh, I was sleeping in my bedroom. And it's like, okay, well, right there. Like if so many of these stories, these supernatural stories occur when you're about to fall asleep, that to me is like, okay, you're, it was a, it was a nightmare slash paralysis situation. And a Mm. lot of them even say, and then suddenly I couldn't move. And it's like, well, here's, uh, here's the interesting thing. They are very common in two things. They generally happen. Uh, yes. While people are sleeping, mm -hmm. but also while people are driving, people, will sleep while driving a lot and well, not even yeah, realize that, it. that is a phenomenon, but people like, I think the most famous case is Betty and Barney Hill is a couple and they, uh, they had a weird experience where their memory was they're driving along, driving home and they saw like a light following their car mm-hmm. 
and then uh they like they pulled over to like look at this light thing because uh barney thought it was barney was black betty was white this is the 60s barney thought someone was fucking with them because they're interracial couple yeah but barney like looks through his this is his memory that he uh and he sees uh like this uh like a craft with like people in it and one of them makes eye contact with him and like he freaks out and runs back to the car and then they and then they lose like 45 minutes and they they wake up later and then a few years their lives are like miserable and then they don't know why and they finally they go to hypnotherapy and and it gets freaky (laughs) um but yeah, that was like one where people are driving. But yeah, like you say, even driving, people often lose time. Theirs is interesting because it's a couple. There are two of them. Yeah, but that to me is the thing is when you, especially when you have someone else that hops on board with your story, you can really start churning up some false memories between the two of you real quick. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's possible. Unless you're both being extremely critical and honest, you can really like when you're talking about memories and you have someone there that's also validating your memories, you can you can you can take yourself down some weird rabbit holes with with the validation of another person. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So unfortunately, the hypnotic regression is very, very tough to deal with, as well as memory in general can be very tough. Mm -hmm. And that's why. They generally try to invest, like when they try to investigate this stuff, they bring in more equipment and things. But uh, so far, as Sidgwick concluded, quote, tried all methods in turn, all that I found pointed out by any of those who have gone before me and all in turn have failed. Revelational, rational, empirical methods. There is no proof in any of them. Yeah. And like this stuff has been has has been thoroughly uh investigated for a long long time and there's still no solid evidence of any of this being real and i mean like solid evidence like quantifiable put it in a jar type evidence yeah i mean there are always there are a lot there are like these weird cases that can't quite be explained like i would say betty and barney hill that's there is some weirdness to it that you can't mm-hmm. fully explain but not um, being able to explain something does not no, justify no, no, no. some other conclusion. No, all all it means is that you have to admit there's still stuff we don't understand about how the brain shapes our reality. Oh, that that is totally well, we real. don't know about that. That's yeah. why I always get frustrated with people that talk to me about astrology and it's like they talk about it as if it's real science all the time. And it infuriates me because they can <laughs> never give me one physical mechanism as to how any of this shit works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of rules about it and, and whatnot. Yeah. And... Well, give me one physical mechanism. That's all I ask. And yeah. don't say gravity because that's just, you don't know. Like, okay. Explain to me how gravity work like affects these things that you're claiming yeah. that the stars and planets affect like the time well, of birth want- all that shit it's like tell me one physical mechanism well, as to yeah. how this actually is yeah. affecting anything yeah they want a morally rational universe where they yeah the position of the stars not just doesn't just affect the space-time continuum but the moral continuum as well yeah. I mean, That's it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, people used to say, oh, it's a full moon. That means people are going to start acting crazy. And at first, that sounds like a woo woo kind of astrology type thing. But then someone gave me one actual rational explanation for that is that full moons light up the night a lot more. So people are more likely to go out into it and stay out in the night longer if their if their vision is of the world is much more clear because of the moonlight. Yeah. I was that wondering actually, maybe like there's tides in your brain. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think brain tides would have been thoroughly discovered by now. I don't know. Maybe you have cerebrospinal fluid in your skull cushioning your 
brain. Maybe it gets tidally tugged, and maybe that makes you weird. I'd have to. <laughs> you got to wonder how if at what scale does the moon stop affecting water, right? When I yeah. be able to notice yeah. the cu- the water in my cup behaving weird? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, here, here's this is maybe this is a good thing to close on. Kind of interesting. Uh, so after Sidgwick died, his wife and some colleagues tried to do this uh, experiment where took where they tried to talk to him after death, and his wife said that she was able to whatever. Mm-hmm, of course, but they also tried to do this uh, ritual where you summon a, uh, I forget what it's called, the moon child or something. It's like this magic ritual where you attempt to summon a child into the universe through a like birth. So, you know, like horror movies, they try to get the, like the innocent virgin Hello? to have Satan spawn. We lost Sam right when he was about to describe You know what him. I mean? Oh. Oh, no. Okay. Go again. I lost you there. Back? Yeah. What's the uh, moon child? Okay. So, you know, in like a horror movie, mm-hmm. they will try to, the evil Satanists, they will try to like capture the young, beautiful virgin and then somehow get Satan spawn to impreg- impregnate her. So she gives birth to the Satan baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's classic, yeah. classic love yeah. story. Yeah. So there's like a, there's a different kind of magic where you do that same kind of thing, but it's supposed to get them pregnant with like the moon, moon child which will bring in an era of peace and harmony to the world. Moon boy from Game of Thrones. That's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so they tried that. didn't work. Um, it was also attempted, I think, by Aleister Crowley. Uh, also didn't work. I think he attempted everything he could think of with a virgin. But um, <laughs> one of my favorite things I've been watching lately is uh, Starseed YouTube channels. Do you know what a Starseed oh. is? Yeah. So there's a group of people on the planet that believe that they're star beings from mostly the Andromeda galaxy. And they have a very yeah. like. That's Scientology. They, they, <laughs> they, they. <laughs> They're not vague about anything. They'll tell, oh, I'm from Andromeda, but my other friend who's a star seed is from this other galaxy, right? They're all very, like, matter of fact about everything. I'm as from if the Sombrero isn't... Galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> so go on, go on YouTube and look up star seed channels. It's always some glazy eyed lady talking about how she first <laughs> discovered she was a star seed. And uh, they're, all, they're constantly contradicting themselves. Like, star seeds were put on this planet to guide humanity. Uh, towards more uh, enlightened uh, practices and really we're here to help humanity move forward and then like later in the video she's like you can tell you're a starseed if you don't like being around anyone else (laughs) (laughs) anyways a lot of one video I was watching and the funniest thing is that they're always like there's only about there's only a certain amount of starseeds on the planet earth right now and then just so happens every single person in the comment section is realizing they're also a star seed. Like I think panspermia is a legitimate scientific theory, but this is bizarre. Yeah, no, they this think is that like they the, were they were brought here from Andromeda to help us, and they're always the most useless people. <laughs> the star, yeah. I've not, I've yet to meet a useful star seed. Did you bring any fancy tech with you? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. What did no, you? No, they, they can't. Go look up star seeds. They'll tell you, especially the videos titled uh, "How do you know if you're a star seed?" and it just applies to everyone and all these idiots in the comments. Oh my god, I knew that there was something different about me. Now I finally know. Thank you so much. It's like, oh my <laughs> god. Can hey, well, maybe smarten up. Can everybody fucking smarten up out there? <laughs> look, maybe. If it works for them, maybe just maybe that's what they need. They need to believe they're from Andromeda. You believe what you want, but if you are expecting me to believe it too, you can go fuck yourself. That's how I feel about astrology as well. People get so mad when you tell them you don't believe it. As if you're the one who's out of their mind. Like as if you're the one pulling this shit out of nowhere. Uh, Like I've had people like legit look at me like I was an idiot for not believing astrology. Hmm. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
yeah, I think usually people like that, as if you say you don't believe it, I mean, there's really nothing they can actually do to convince you, and that pisses them off. <laughs> yeah, because they can't <laughs> give me a single physical mechanism as to how any of it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe it's just like, maybe it's just them. They think or you're closed-minded. Just... That's what they think. They think you're closed-minded if you don't believe their shit. Can you just say, like, look, it's not up to me. Whatever my stars are, they're clearly not allowing me to, uh, to buy into this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not my decision. <laughs> I'm not exactly. There. Whatever the stars were for me, they caused me to be a non-spiritual person. Uh, Stuart Jones has a good line. Stuart Jones has a good joke about that where he's like, oh, I'm a Taurus. And then they're like, oh, yeah, Tauruses don't believe in this. (laughs) (laughs) Why write the column for us at all? Okay, that's our that's our uh, that's our podcast for the week. Uh, The truth is out there. Hopefully our technical difficulties were experienced only by us and it'll be all fixed in post. Okay, bye. Stone.